Support for this episode comes from Viator. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why Viator has over 300,000 bookable experiences, so there's always something for everyone. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. You are listening to another episode of the Orange and Black Insider, and this week, ladies and gentlemen, we get to speak about a Bengals win. Victory Wednesday, John Sheeran. How are you, my friend? Yeah, we don't, we need like a victory formation or something. I mean, we can't really kneel. I mean, there's no <laughs> way to pick that up on the audio. But yeah, one, two, and one in, in a crazy year, you know. It's about right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Especially the, the last number of that record. It is about right. Um, yeah. Bengals get the victory. They get the win. Joe Burrow gets his first win as a pro. We're going to talk about that and some different facets of that game, including what we're encouraged by, what we're discouraged by. We've been doing that so far this week. So we'll talk about that. We will talk about what this win means, if anything. And we'll also talk about next week. In between recapping the win and talking about the week five game against the Baltimore Ravens. We've got a stat of the week for you, and we've got some sound bites of the week that we want to share with you. So we've, we've got a lot to get to, and we're going to get to it shortly. I'm Anthony Cazenza, by the way. I don't know if I even introduced myself, but I'm Anthony. He's John, as I mentioned. You ready to get to all this stuff, John? Yeah. Um, I was just on a podcast previewing the Ravens game called the Blown Coverage Podcast. So as soon as you guys done with this check on over to your favorite podcast channel and check me out on that but also check anthony out on the inside the jungle podcast oh yeah with him and nick sieberlim and uh scott bentel and some other some other man i'm i'm not Maybe. remembering his name yeah, yes. Answer, yeah. yes so definitely ch- check that ch- check that podcast out thanks man thanks for the plug yeah that's uh those were the ogs those guys nick and in the crew they uh that's the show I started on, and then uh, you know they they kind of Nick ended up doing some soccer stuff because of the, the FC Cincinnati being formed in in the city of Cincinnati. So he focused on that, and then just with the excitement that built back up with this team this offseason, Joe Burrow, etc. I think he kind of got the itch, and we're kind of talking some Bengals. So yeah, kind of an OG crew there. It's it's a lot of fun. Appreciate you you plugging that, man. Um, let's get to this one. The Bengals beat the Jaguars 33-25. There are a number of different things to talk about with this, John. My, I guess we'll, we'll go first impressions, and then we'll kind of talk about different facets and if we're encouraged or discouraged. I, my, my overall impression is great eight-point win. I almost feel like the Bengals – could have or should have won by a larger margin. There were still some mistakes that they put out there, a little concerning as they head into a very treacherous week going to Baltimore and facing the Ravens. I think they left some points out on the board and could have had a more impressive win, but I'll take the W. It's a good point because, like we've said, 
when the Bengals hadn't won a one score game in like a millennium. Um, let, not all one score games are built the same. This is an eight point victory, but it felt like a little bit more. And the only reason why it was an eight point victory is because the Jaguars went down the field with under two minutes to go. Bengals were just playing prevent and they got into field goal range and they kicked a field goal. And that was that. So yeah, you're right. They played a lot better than just winning by eight points. And they should have, because they were a better team than the, than the Jacksonville Jaguars. They were playing at home and they were, and they had advantages on certain position groups that they didn't have in the previous weeks. And they just, I think they played up to their talent for the first time all season and against a team that I think a lot of us expected to be in the competition to tank for Trevor Lawrence. They, they, they just, they just got the job done. And I think that's really all we can put it at right now. I know they're one zero and one in the last two weeks. So there is some positive, positive momentum building, but it came against the Eagles who are still one of the worst teams in the league, despite it went against the San Francisco 49ers and it came against the Jaguars who were looking nothing like how they looked in week one when they beat the Colts. So expectations tempered but still progress is progress yeah and i guess you can kind of say baby steps over the last couple of weeks right you had the two losses a lot of mistakes in those games a lot of poor defensive play and missed plays on offense and then you get the tie on the road still not satisfying but it's not a loss technically and then you get the win from there so i guess in some sense there is some growth being witnessed Joe Burrow throwing for 300 plus yards. We we are going to get to encouraged, discouraged in just a second. I mean, I we we've omitted him the past couple of weeks. I think on that because we're encouraged. I think the Bengals three straight 300 yard performances, a rookie record. I mean, the kid's coming as advertised, if not more so. John, I mean, he's 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 playing really well. And I think I don't know if you saw this tweet. Jack Collinsworth, son of Chris Collinsworth. He put out a tweet that said something to the effect of, look, I mean, essentially what you're seeing from Joe Burrow is his four preseason games, and he's got three 300-yard games. Um, And now, I mean, that's one way to look at it. Maybe a funny way to look at it, but it's one way to look at it, I guess. But playing pretty well his first month of the season. There were monster expectations for him to meet, and I think he's met basically every single one of them. He's playing like a top-10 quarterback right now, at least if you go by PFF standards, and he's been the most under-pressure quarterback or one of the most under-pressure quarterbacks on a per-dropback rate this season, and he's playing really well despite those conditions too. So you'd like to think that it's sustainable under better circumstances where he's not getting pressured for most of the game, and we kind of saw that in this game. You know, He was pressured on only like 33% of his dropbacks. He was blitzed on nine of those, and he handled it pretty flawlessly, and they they didn't sack him until he just gave himself up towards the end of the game just to keep the clock running. So it was the first time we saw him and the offensive line play at an above-average level, and wouldn't you know, they score 33 points and win pretty comfortably. So Burroughs, you're right. He hasn't been the story because he's just meeting those incredible expectations that we pretty much unfairly put upon him, but he had to in order for this team to be competitive, and that's pretty much where we're at right now. You, sir, and the user, the tippity-top, in our live YouTube chat, uh, We'll get we'll get to the first part of this statement. Joe Burrow mic'd up was epic. We're going to get to that a little later in the show. But talking about Alex Redman and you, John, just talked about the improvement on the offensive line this week. Let's a lot of talk about Alex Redman. And I got to tell you, for those who follow me on Twitter, um, <laughs> had quite the exchange with a relative of Alex Redman, and we'll kind of leave it there. Um, and that same relative seems to lash out at quite a few people who cover the Bengals, but we're just going to kind of leave it at that. However, a a good game from Alex Redman, but John, I, I, if I remember correctly, his PFF score was still relatively low. 
um, if I if I read that correctly. So, is it a my question here? Aside from being encouraged or discouraged from the offensive line play as a whole, is this a was it a good game by Alex Redman or simply a good game by Alex R- Redman standards? And how is it just that he works well with Bobby Hart? I mean, I, I, what's going on with this whole thing? I, I'm trying to struggle to what to make with all of it. I think there is some weight to that third point where he does have experience working with Hart. He started yeah. 15 games with him in 2018. He played a couple games last year with him at right tackle. So there might be some weight to that. But he definitely just played pretty well to his standards. You know, he was he had one holding call, I think, late in the game. But he probably could have been called for a little bit more. That's just kind of his technique. He just grabs on and hopes for the best. There's a reason why sometimes when you only allow two pressures, which is what PFF charted for Redmond, but your pass blocking score is 47.4, it's because your technique's just not that, not really there. And the, the Bengals got the ball out, out of Burrow's hands pretty quickly. And Redmond just did what he had to do. Like the Jaguars defensive line is not, a, they're not world beaters. They're by far the least talented group that they faced this season. And Redmond had a great matchup. And it, it's, it, it's easy to look at Redmond and think that he's the X factor. He's the difference maker because he was the one change on the offensive line. And when you know, they play like an actual competent unit. Um, but the, you know, the strength of schedule has to be inputted here. And when you focus more on the, on the tape, you think that there's some things he's just not going to get away with against more talented pass rushers. So this was a good, you know, baseline litmus to see where he is right now against defenders that he should square up and, and beat for most of the time. And that's kind of what he did. It wasn't pretty and it wasn't pretty for guys like Michael Jordan, Bobby Hart either sometimes, but they got the job done. And I think at this point, that's really all we can ask for because they, they, they they're going to take any, 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 as much of these games as, as they can get, because that that's really the difference of how this offense can operate. The final point that I made about Bobby Hart and Alex Redmond working well together you know, I look back to the end of 2018 when they were running the ball really well, the end of 2019 when they were running the ball really well, and you kind of just say, well, maybe those two, given all of their deficiencies, Hart and Redmond, maybe somehow they just work pretty well with each other and they're able to raise their usual play up a little bit. That's kind of a little bit of a conclusion that I came to, John. But like you said, the other thing is, if you look at the 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 teams they played at the end of 2018, the end of 2019, when they were kind of getting some wins and, and running the ball a lot better, and then again this week, like you said, the strength of, strength of schedule has to be called into question. Before we get kind of your overall encouraged, discouraged on the offensive line, what do you think happens when Xavier Suofilo, who apparently is a couple of weeks away, somewhat close by, by reports, to returning to the lineup with that ankle injury? I mean, say Alex Redman plays same level again this week. Is this – do they go back to Suofilo, you think? Or do they think – do you think they stick with Redman? If he if he plays at the same level, he's not going to have his promising results against the Ravens. They, their defense tackles are just too too. The, the the difference in the disparity of talent level between the Jaguars and the Ravens is too great for him to survive at the same level of play that he did in this game. So if he comes out as the same player against the Ravens, they might have more reason to pull him for Suafilo as soon as he comes out. There's a question of they signed Suafilo to three years. You know they claimed him, they deemed him as the answer to the right guard spot, and I think they would prefer to justify that rather than going to the guy that they've dealt with for two years now and and he you know is is, is, he just is who he is he's just the guy that you can barely survive with and he's just the definition of serviceable as long as he doesn't get penalized so um i think they would need to see you know marginal improvement over what he did last week because he's going going to need that jump in order to survive against the ravens 
And if he doesn't get that, I think we're going to see Suofilo get back there as soon as possible because I think there's just that initiative to get the most out of this investment that, that they placed in him. I agree, and I think that they believe that Suofilo is a good system fit uh, over Alex Redmond. And I think what they're trying to do is, for the time being, while Suofilo is out, I think they're trying to figure out who the best guard is, what to play while he's out. And, you know, when he's back, I, I think he's going to be inserted to the lineup. How short that leash is, I don't know. Overall, encouraged or discouraged by the offensive line play, and do you think that this is a sign of continued improvement throughout the rest of the season? Uh, whether it's marginal each game that they improve, or do you think that this, again, was more of a strength of schedule thing, strength of defense they were going up against? I mean, look, we raked Jim Turner over the coals, that offensive line. We've been hammering them for weeks now. They looked a lot better this week, and they ran the ball well. They kept Joe Burrow pretty clean. Um, your thoughts? Yeah, I think I would like to see more out of just – consistency from the group and how they fare against better teams um once we're once we get a bigger sample size in regards to that we can kind of paint a bigger picture of whatever this was a facade or a sign of things to come it, it was promising the fact that they at least had one good game under their belt i don't think we should start the celebration parade just yet especially because we don't know if these are the same five starters on the line with suafila coming back but yeah i would like i would like to see more but i, I it is to their credit you know a win in their book because they you know they Brought back Redmond for this reason. They inserted him in the starting line. It wasn't quite a secret, even though they didn't announce it until Sunday. And it paid off because, you know, again, the Jaguars were just a less formidable opponent than who they played in the first three weeks. And, yeah, the, the, again, they just got the job done. And I think at this point, that's all they can take. And that's all, that's all they can hope for. Our good friend, the Bengals, as I did here today, that Redmond wasn't doing interviews and stuff this week because he's in the film room and working hard. I mean, fine, good. That's great. I hope I hope that ends up. No, I mean I, I'm not trying to be sarcastic and saying that. I, I mean uh, it's I, I actually didn't hear that, but uh, I, I appreciate him, our, our, our buddy the Bengal, relaying that to us. But it's just you know, the, actions speak louder than words. And Alex Redman has a very up and down resume, and it, it is a large sample size that we've seen from him. So you know, kudos to him on having you know a good game for for him. And, and the Bengals getting the win. I, I hope it continues, but let's uh, let's see. Let's move on from the offensive line in terms of being encouraged, discouraged. Let's let's kind of uh, let's lump these two together for the sake of time here, John. Wide receivers and tight ends. There were, uh, you know, there were a lot of plays made by different guys in the group. Tyler Boyd continues to be this team's best wide receiver. T. Higgins had a lot of nice plays. Um, Drew Sample in between the 20s had a couple of nice catches, but John, two dropped passes by Drew Sample in the end zone. And I know you've got a unique take on those, on those throws there too, based on what I saw on your, on your Twitter account. Um, but two drop, two drop passes in the end zone there. Luckily the Bengals ended up scoring a touchdown on, on one of those to rebound. Um, T Higgins, still a couple of drops and, the AJ Green factor, John, just continues to not. I think you have what one catch, three yards. Uh, a lot of questions in our live chats about you know AJ, AJ, AJ. So overall, encouraged, discouraged. They threw for three hundred, but there are still some mistakes out there. Yeah, and I think Green's whole purpose right now is to stretch the field. They've been trying to do that with T Higgins the past couple weeks, and him and Burrow just haven't been able to connect. And that was 
that, that continued into Sunday, but with green, you know, like most of his targets are, are deep targets. I think he's like fifth in the NFL right now in terms of targeted air yards. And he has like, like 60 yards on the season, most of them coming in week one against the chargers. So that, that explosion just clearly isn't there. And, you know, we're four weeks into this. We're thinking maybe it's rust or maybe he just actually has lost a step. And that's not improbable to believe he's 32 years old. He dealt with multiple lower leg injuries specifically pertaining to his ankle. And he's coming off like a 600 day rest period of just not playing. So I, I, at this point it has to be more just of him just being old and worn down rather than the rust kicking in because that one play, early in the first quarter like he did what he needed he he tried to extend the play and, and go vertical with burrow rolling out and i think burrow threw a nice ball he just didn't have the second gear to get there and that kind of continued for the rest of the game he just didn't create any separation but boyd is obviously the best receiver on this team he's created the most and cleanest rapport with burrow he's creating the most separation by far coming out of the slot and i, I like what they're doing with T. higgins they're putting a lot on him i think he lined up like half his snaps in the slot and had like a, a had his best you know reception from the slot on that beautiful dime from Burrow, but you know they still he is the guy that they're relying on to you know stretch the field if not for AJ and a, a lot of these deep targets you know Burrow or excuse me Higgins is stacking the corner but Burrow's just not putting it in the right place he's not leading him enough he's expecting him to win these 50 50 jump balls but the cornerbacks in the NFL are a lot better than what he faced when he was at LSU so there's definitely more things to be encouraged about but Anthony like I, I don't know how much longer you, that you can put. AJ Green out there and have him run these vertical routes if he's not getting into separation. That's a very good point and one that a lot of people have been talking about, including in our live chats here. Look, I, I've tried to mixed mixed uh, opinions. I've tried to defend AJ Green because a couple of plays were there the first two games and just things didn't go his way. Joe Burrow overshot him against the Chargers for a, an easy touchdown. He was open against the Browns, I, I believe against Denzel Ward down the sideline. Burrow kind of fluttered it out of bounds a tiny bit. Green caught it but couldn't get that second foot down. Later in that game, he would have had another touchdown, had his arm held, that sort of thing. So, I mean, there have been some things that are just right there, and they just can't, they can't get it. But the last two weeks have really – uh, concerned me in terms of of what we're seeing out of AJ Green. A lot of people are saying he's playing hurt. I don't think he's playing hurt, John. I think he's playing to not get hurt, and that that is, and I could be wrong about that, but he's he's looking kind of. I don't know. I don't know what the right word is. Maybe delicate in terms of how he finishes routes and uh, he kind of when when he's getting hit. He I don't know. There's there's just something that doesn't look like the old AJ Green to me. Whether it's the separation, playing not to get hurt. I don't know. Um, I'd like to think that some of the plays will be there coming up. This is the team he traditionally plays well against the Ravens, but I'm concerned. Yeah, it's it's entirely possible that he just doesn't have that trust with his body yet. And there's the difference between doing it in practice, and he didn't have a lot of practice, I guess, in the offseason because he had that hamstring injury to deal with. But that, And then you're going into the game where it, it matters, and it's it's live reps, and those cornerbacks are just, they're getting more athletic and athletic as the years go by, and he's only getting older. So I, I don't know. Like at, at this point, I think this is just who we can expect him to be. But if he does end up turning around if he does develop that trust with his body again and has the the same explosion that we're used to seeing out of nowhere like it's possible and, and i won't be too surprised because that he is that dedicated an athlete but at this point it, it just can't be expected if he if he does turn around it can't be like i told you guys he was going to, he was going to do it's just a matter of time like no like what he's showing us right now like the expectation is he's not going to get back there if he does great but when but if it does happen it's not going to be an i told you so moment 
So the other one, you know, one little other facet, Seathan Carter had a nice catch, a beautiful throw by Joe Burrow. Um, so he's getting a lot of different people involved. So overall, I agree with you, encouraged by the pass catching group. But overall, you know, I, I, I still think there are a lot of mistakes being made or, or drops or, you know, uh, th- opportunities that are not being taken advantage of by this Bengals team. And I think that uh, that is, is showing by – sometimes a lack of points or not being able to capitalize on turnover. So we've talked offensive line. We've talked pass catchers. Let's specifically talk about maybe the Bengals defensive front, the line and or linebackers in this game. They held the Jaguars to under a hundred yards rushing, which I believe is the first time they have done that this year. And that's without Geno Atkins. That's without Logan Wilson in the lineup. Uh, Jordan Evans had a couple of really nice plays on limited defensive snaps, filling in for Wilson. No Mike Daniels. Um, what, what do you make of the defensive fronts uh, performance? Because where I where I have a hang up, John, is they got the three sacks this week. But as I rewatched that game, two of those three sacks were totally because of great coverage. It took them forever to get to Gardner Minshew on two of those sacks. So, what do you make of the defensive fronts performance this week? Yeah, and one of them was, I think, Jordan Evans is blitzing on like a free gap. So like sacks can be misleading. That's where we look more at pass rushing grades, pass rushing win rate, and just pressure rate in general. And if if it wasn't for DJ Reader just playing like the guy that that they signed, it would be another just underwhelming week for the the defensive line. You have Carl Lawson, who's like the only guy off the edge who's winning at a moderately consistent rate. And even still, like he had a, a largely underwhelming game for the most part. He did have that sack on Minshew, but he's still getting, you know, shut out for most of these games. Dunlap and Hubbard though, like they're just not winning. They're not getting off blocks early. And I think Dunlap had maybe his best game of the year, but even still like three total pressures, no sacks and like a pass rushing grade of 68. That's just not going to get it done for what he's being tasked and expected to do. And we're not seeing that jump from Hubbard. You know, a lot of his production is like you said, it's coverage based and he just has a lot of time to have these effort and hustle plays to get to the quarterback if he decides to break the pocket. So the defensive line is not doing enough right now to help out the coverage in the secondary, which is playing out of its mind. Jesse Bates and William Jackson are playing the best football of their football lives right now, and they're just not getting any help from the pass rush. Yep. Another another gem from our buddy the Bengal wise Bates not getting any love outside of Bengals fans he is pro football focus's highest graded safety in the NFL right now playing out of his mind and that's really what you wanted to see there was a lot of inconsistency from Bates last year I know we weren't really focusing on the secondary with encouraged discouraged right here but um, it's, a, it's a fair point you bring up John and uh, you know he's he had an up and down year last year it's kind of a tale of two seasons started off awful and then had a handful of really nice games to end the year, had a couple of interceptions. And now this year he's playing, um, you know, the, the, he's not getting the streaky interceptions, but he is all over the place, uh, you know, breaking up passes. He's getting involved in the run defense. He's, he's, he's been everywhere. He's been everywhere and, and has been the Bengals' best defensive player uh, by, I, I guess, a sizable margin. You said William Jackson's playing pretty well. I think we're seeing some good things out of DJ Reader. But, um, you know, I think Jesse Bates is – up there for their their best defensive player right now yeah and, and going back to reader because i feel like uh, especially me i'm on more of a negative tangent in these past couple <laughs> topics but i think i think reader des- deserves a lot of credit for this game you know I, I, this fourth game without geno atkins this third game without mike daniels he played a lot of three technique with christian covington and andrew brown kind of spilling him at, at that position and he generated a decent amount of pressure you know he had a lot of clean reps 
and wins against both of Jacksonville's guards, both guards who I think are graded pretty highly in terms of pass protection. So he played like the guy that they expected when, when they signed him. He took such a big jump as a pass rusher with Houston in 2019. And this is the first game that we're actually seeing that translate into in, in a Bengals uniform. And he was still really good against the run, too. He had a couple of good stops against James Robinson. He also stopped Gardner Minshew from breaking the pocket on like a third and short, forced the Jaguars to to attempt a field goal from a pretty long distance. So great game by Reader. If, if Bates didn't continue to play out of his mind, he would have been definitely the, the defense's MVP. Yep, and I will be very excited to see what DJ Reader looks like when Geno Atkins re-enters the lineup. We'll talk a little. I've seen a lot of questions about Lamar Jackson and Geno Atkins. We're going to talk about the midweek injury report when we preview the Ravens game in just a little bit. We're going to get to stat of the week and sound bites of the week in just a minute here. Before we do, I just want to remind everybody to try and join us live for every one of our shows that we do. We have a Monday news jump where we run through the headlines for the Cincinnati Bengals and around the NFL. We have this Wednesday night kind of deep dive analysis show. We, for most Fridays, we have listener questions live where we field your questions on the air. And then of course, we've got a pregame show by Narragansett Beer. We've got a postgame show to talk about what happened with the Cincinnati Bengals in their game. So we're bringing you a lot of different stuff. And in between, there's all kinds of stuff from Matt Minnick doing his Chalk Talk film breakdowns. You've got Ace and Zim on the Cincy Jungle podcast channel as well. By the way, they just interviewed Carl Lawson. So go check that one out. That's that's a pretty cool one. So a lot of, a lot of different episodes and a lot of different stuff for you to check out on the podcast channel. Or if you're more of a YouTuber and like the videos, uh, go ahead and click that subscribe button that's right under John's left shoulder there. Bing. And uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel. And like I said, get our podcasts on any number of audio platforms wherever you prefer. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Life moves pretty fast. Are you drinking water that can keep up? Smartwater Alkaline has everything you need to stay hydrated, no matter where your day takes you. Whether you're pitching a tent or your next big idea, Smart Water Alkaline can help you perform your best. It delivers a pure, crisp taste that makes it the perfect chaser after a big workout. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smart Water Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. Should we go into Stat of the Week? Let's do it. Yeah, so our Stat of the Week this week, we had one that I feel like was pretty important, pretty telling. Um, The run game improved a lot this game and Joe Mixon had like 150 yards rushing. Um, I think, well, let's see here. 57 of them came from both of his touchdowns, but I wanted to look at how successful the run game was aside from those two touchdowns in the first half. They had 12 traditional running back runs in the first half and only 33% of them were deemed successful from an expected points added perspective. So 33%, 33% success rate. In the second half, they had 12 non-touchdown traditional running back runs from Joe Mixon, Giovanni Bernard. That success rate jumped to 50%. So a a lot of the success came from those two touchdowns because they were long touchdowns, and they obviously altered the game in general. But run blocking in general and the the success of the run game, aside from those two touchdowns, it also increased as well. So it wasn't just the touchdowns that carried Joe Mixon into the AFC player, offensive player of the week. The offensive line, specifically with Alex Redman too, got better as the game went on and they've generated more positive plays to the run game. And that that huge jump in success rate is an indicator of why. Yeah, Mixon won the FedEx ground player of the week 
this week as well, the NFL award there. Uh, I guess we just plugged FedEx without even knowing that, but um, hey, FedEx, if you want to sponsor the show, give us, give us a shout. But John, I, I guess quick question, and I don't want to put you on the spot too badly here, but you know, is that that jump from first half to second half? I mean, in, in the struggles that you saw in the first three weeks with the run game, I mean, is it, again, is it play calling or is it opponent? Is it both? Uh, to to show that uptick in success for Joe Burrow, I'm sorry, I Joe. Think, uh, there's definitely play calling involved. Um, at, over the past few weeks, we've seen the r- percentage of runs on second and long decrease dramatically, and rightfully so. That was hamstringing the offense by infinity, and and just putting it more on Burrow to convert these third and long. So I think Matt Minnick, uh, co- um, Coach Minnick. Um, said that they only had like two second and long runs in this game. One of them was like the first run of the game, and they they stopped after that. You know, it was their season low in terms of percentage of runs on second and long. But but so that decreased, and it obviously helped the offense in general, and it made the run game a lot a lot easier because they were putting in more positions to succeed, especially in, in in terms of this metric. So the blocking was good, the opponent was pretty weak, the, the scheme was good, the play calling was good, everything ended up being good, and and, and for once Joe Mixon was able to started breaking tackles and avoiding tackles beyond the line of scrimmage for once. So, so instead, instead of turning these negative two, negative three yard runs into like one or two yards, he was turning five yard runs to 23 and 34 yard touchdowns. So kudos to the offense line for finally giving him some space to, to run and kudos to the, to Zach Taylor and the offense and the coaching staff to adjusting to what this run game is and putting them in better positions to succeed. Look, what we talked about with the Alex Redmond thing, a lot of their most successful runs and big runs of the day, Joe Mixon's touchdown, Giovanni Bernard had a good run up the right. It was it was off the right sideline, and they bounced it outside off the right. So um, take take that for what you will. You mentioned the long run by Mixon. He also – his other longer touchdown run was kind of in the up the middle. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, th- there were some more plays to be had on the right side than – and in general in the running game, a lot more a lot more room than has been there in the the – first couple of weeks there so a good stat of the week there john and of course we've got one that was a little more basic from our our buddy in the live youtube chat don bro stat of the week burrow sets the rookie record for three consecutive 300 yard passing games we said that at the onset of the show but we went a little different route with the stat of the week this week i'm going to share a couple of different sound bites of the week uh a lot of you probably have seen these at this point or heard these at this point but we're going to share them anyway we're going to share them anyway so uh, bear with me as I pull these up here, but one is Joe Burrow mic'd up uh, from the, I believe it's from inside the NFL, the show on cable here, but it's about two, a little over two minutes and you get to hear the Bengals franchise quarterback kind of chatting and doing all kinds of different stuff. It's pretty entertaining. And then we've got one more after that. I'm sorry, what's your name? Alex. Alex, I didn't want to just call you Mr. Rep all day. I'll Joe. Give you, I'll give you 10 seconds. Yes, sir. Appreciate it. Here we go. Hey, huddle, huddle. Huddle, huddle. Get in the huddle. Get in the huddle. What is that? Joe Burrow became the first rookie quarterback to throw for 300 yards in three straight games. Perfectly thrown football. <laughs> hey, that was a dime right there. But it was another Joe who took over the game. What is that? Shotguns now. Swings it right, caught by Mixon. To the five. Goes airborne. Touchdown, Bengals. Mixon flying over an attempted tackle as he makes it to the end zone. Hey, Jody! Jody! 
Zim and in his honor, I am wearing the the shirt he gave the Burrow Baby shirt. So, oh, uh, you got one of those? Where, where yeah. the hell is mine? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. You got to ask him for one, dude. He created these yeah. these bad boys. So, uh, hit him up there. But uh, you know, uh, what what did you say in the middle there, John? You said something. Was was it about the losing comment that the narrator said yeah. or something? <laughs> what what a shot! Knowing that a lot of Bengals fans are going to listen to this, the Bengals I are not used to losing things. <laughs> It's fu- it's funny. I didn't catch that actually until we just replayed it right now. I watched it earlier and I was like, oh, this is all good. And then I just heard that comment. And then I heard you make a comment. I'm like, he's probably talking about that losing thing. <laughs> uh, just the only thing I really want to say with that one, John, it just looks like he's already got the respect of his teammates. And he looks like he's, you know, got great rapport with, with a lot of them. And, and obviously winning cures a lot of different negative emotions but uh looks looks like those guys are respecting him just four games in as a pro yeah because they know that you know there's a lot of issues with this team but he's he's not one of them you know i think again we can talk about expectations for a rookie quarterback being really high but for the most part he's just exceeded them and there's some things that he has to improve upon but just that mental aspect that leadership aspect like that was pretty evident from the very minute that he was drafted and it's it's showing through and through uh, now four weeks into the season. So thanks thanks to Zim for putting together that little uh, clip on Twitter there. We've got one more. This one, John, surprised me. Uh, this was from Chad Ochocinco's or Chad Johnson's Twitter account from the weekend. And he went and visited someone over the weekend that I thought was, I don't know, I, I don't know what to make of this. I guess it was pretty cool, but check it out. It was a beautiful morning in Idaho. I'm showing you my journey along the way. And it's cold. It's really cold. And I finally reached my destination. And the reason I have traveled all this way from Miami to come out here and freeze is for this wonderful person that is responsible 
for all of my success. And I can say that because I'm the one who's successful because of him. Huh? That guy right there. Hola. Carson. Mi amo. Carson Palmer. Mi best friend. Este. Ocho Cinco. Listen, we are back together again. Put the band back together. Put the band back together. We're coming back to play. We're coming out of retirement. 2028. What do you make of that one, John? Uh, there were some rumors at the end of Carson Palmer's tenure with the Cincinnati Bengals that that was one of the relationships that was completely fractured and caused him to want to get out. That was one of the rumors. They're hanging out. Obviously, it's now 10 years later since all of that happened. Uh, they had a lot of success together. First of all, Carson looks like a completely different guy in that <laughs> in that in that video, but really interesting that those guys are hanging out. I don't know. I found it to be I heard about it and I was like, what? No, for our YouTube for our YouTube viewers, they're like, that's a man who hasn't got a haircut in three months, but enjoys not having his hair. That, that's a man that I made a conscious decision to avoid the barbershop at all costs because he likes the way he looks. Um, yeah, I, I, I took me a minute or a second to register that that was Carson Palmer, but I mean, you know, he's he's just living his life, and so so is Chad, and I think that they're both in this cabin in in Idaho. I like I saw on Chad's like that's where Carson lives now. I think. I, I guess he does. Like he's like Jeff Fisher. He just lives in the you know butt naked nowhere and up in the northwest. So you know it's good good to see those two hanging out. I think they called or they had a video conference and chat with Joe Burrow and T Higgins after the game on on Sunday and basically congratulated them on their first win. So the ninety eight the the nine to eighty five tradition you know, going strong. I remember John. I'm I'm old enough to remember this that when Carson first started games for the Bengals. I believe it was, it was either this incident I'm talking about. I know he started games in 04. He sat as a rookie, but it was either in 04 or 05. But after one of the games they played Sunday, he and Chad made a road trip to Indianapolis for a Monday night game. So that both, and both of them sat somewhere in that stadium in Lucas oil stadium to watch Peyton Manning and Marvin Harrison play together. And they were sitting there taking notes and talk and just soaking it in. And how do we get there? How do we get there? And for some reason, my mind, when I saw this, it just kind of went back to that, that story. How do we get there? You know, how, and, and they were so close. I mean, they were great, obviously, but they were so close to really great things. It just, you know, I don't know that, that, that video clip kind of brings up the feels, you know? Yeah, and I think both, specifically more so Carson, they're just rounded and dynamic human beings. It's not always just one emotion that dominates. It's not just Carson and how he left, but what, while he was there, what what he did accomplish, especially with Chad. Like they were, if not for Peyton and Marvin, they might have been the most lethal wide receiver quarterback combo in the entire two, 2000s. Like they were just that good together. So there's obviously fond memories of both of them succeeding in Cincinnati. And, you know, so much time has passed where it's just, it's, it's, it's more prevalent to look upon those memories and just how it ended and, and what's happened since. Yeah. So interesting, interesting happenings going on this weekend. Uh, Ocho has a, a family and has children, but I, I, he's not married anymore. So maybe he's got a little, little freedom to travel on his own a little bit there. And he went out to go see Carson. And uh, like you said, John, pretty interesting that they went and 
spoke with Joe Burrow and T Higgins after the, after the Bengals win there, but uh, very entertaining and kind of nostalgic in a lot of ways. It maybe brings up some negative feelings for those who still have some angst against Carson Palmer, maybe even a little bit for what happened with Chad Johnson and his uh, not so prestigious exit from the Bengals. But uh, Hey, those are two of the better players in franchise history. And um, I don't know. I just wanted to share that with everybody. I think most of a lot of people have probably seen that or heard that, but I think we we wanted to share that with them. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, let's go ahead and move on to week five. At least the Bengals know they're going to play a week five game at Baltimore against the Ravens. Uh, this is the first time that they've played the Ravens since Lamar Jackson put Nick Vigil on a highlight reel for the last 12 months and put the spin move on him. Um, yeah, the Ravens are three and one. They're still at the top of the AFC North right now because the Steelers haven't played that fourth game. They're coming off a win against the Washington football team. And off of that, they were coming off an embarrassing loss to the Kansas City Chiefs. So the Ravens still look like the Kings of the AFC North, but you know they just have that demon that they can't get off with Kansas City. But it opened up a question: you know, can this offense be limited right now? You know, is there a way to minimize the impact that Lamar Jackson can have not only as a passer but as a runner too? So Anthony, I guess the question is: is the bigger key to this game trying to completely sell out and stop Lamar and hope that you can contain him to under twenty points or something? Or is it just to try to win in a, in a shootout? Are you accepting the fact that Lamar is just that special of a talent and the Bengals are just not there yet from a personnel standpoint to keep him under a manageable point spread? And it's just up to the two Joes, Joe Mixon and Joe Burrow, having outstanding games to carry this offense to a victory. At first blush, it's easy to say shootout. You've got Joe Burrow now. You're coming off a win where your offensive line played better. Joe Mixon had pretty much his best game as a professional running back to this point. So you're saying, you know, they can put out, you've got T Higgins emerging now, Tyler Boyd's being Tyler Boyd. Maybe AJ Green has one of those trademark breakout games against the Ravens this week. And you're sitting here saying, Hey, you know, 30 plus is easy for the Bengals to attain this week. And maybe that is the case. But to me, John, I I think it is absolutely critical that you limit the damage from Lamar Jackson in this running game. And hope, and we'll talk. I, I want to get to the injury report in just a second because there's a lot of questions about Lamar and Geno Atkins in our live chats and just from Bengals fans everywhere. But look, uh, what happens is if say Baltimore gets the ball first, they get it, they go down and they get a touchdown right away. All of a sudden, that alters your game plan from the get go, right? And then you're you're forced to be playing catch up. And I I, I just don't think. As great as Joe Burrow is, he still only has four games as a pro. I still don't fully trust this offensive line, even though they played a lot better last week. Joe Mixon tends to go just totally off on teams that he should go off on. And, you know, sometimes he has some nice runs against the Steelers and Ravens and whatnot, but those haven't traditionally been, I'd have to look, but I, I can't remember those being his best career games. To me, I think the Bengals need to find a way to limit the damage, keep the points manageable if they want to try and get out of here with a win. There's a couple things here because if you look at football outsiders, the Ravens have the 11th best offense and the 9th best defense. If you look at PFF grades, the Ravens defense is very suspect in areas that are very similar to the Bengals. I think they have the lowest graded pass rushing unit of the entire NFL and I think they have one of the worst coverage coverage units in terms of pff grades of the entire nfl so 
initially the, the the weaknesses of the Ravens right now is on the, on the defensive side of the ball. I was just talking with some Ravens guys who saying, yeah, like their edge rushers, their pass rushers, they can't get off a block right now either. And it's making that whole defense's job a lot harder. They have good linebackers, specifically Joe Burrow's former teammate and Patrick Queen. But like that's the area that that needs to be exploited here. Um, and and going back to the other side of the ball, like all these moves that they made in the offseason, it was predicated on beating teams like the Ravens and Steelers in this division, not get, and just not getting gashed, like not giving yourself at least a chance to keep this game competitive by not having a, the trio of Lamar and, and Gus Edwards and Mark Ingram run all over you because they still have the personnel to do that. They lost Marshall Yonda, which has made more of an impact than I think a lot of people would, would have expected because they're having a rookie entire Phillips fill in there and he's having some struggles there. But the, the unit and the personnel in general is just is good enough to run over teams like the Bengals that they don't stay disciplined enough and just get demolished. And like you said, if that happens early on, then the whole structure of the entire game goes to kaput. But that the weakness right now of the Ravens is, is on is on defense. And it, I think it will be up to Burrow to, to kind of win in a shootout. And it'll be a great statement game because, you know, Lamar is a guy that the Bengals passed on in 2018. And in the times that he's been at full strength, you know, the Bengals – have not had a good job, have not, have not had a lot of success in just stopping him. So this is Burrow's chance to take advantage of a weak or relatively weak defense and try to keep up with him as much as he can. Two Heisman winners going up against each other. John, I'm going to let you do the honors. I'm going to put up the injury report as of Wednesday afternoon. You wrote this on CincyJungle.com, so I thought I'd give you the opportunity maybe to get us updated on that. We, Like I said, we've had a lot of questions on Geno Atkins, Lamar Jackson appearing on the injury report with a knee injury, and maybe that is one of the things. I mean, my assumption is he's going to play, um, but maybe if it is something that hinders him a little bit or is bugging him a little bit into this game, maybe that plays into the Bengals being able to limit the offense a bit of Baltimore. But uh, do you want to update us here on what's going on? Yeah. So, I mean, Lamar is on the practice report. He didn't practice on Wednesday, but all indications say that it's minor. It's not a big deal. He's going to play Sunday. So Ravens fans, they, they believe that through, through and through, but I think Bengals fans should also accept that as a fact. He's going to play. The rest of them, though, I mean, Marquise Brown was limited. Um, they had... Yeah, Nick Boyle was out. Calais Campbell had a rest day. Uh, Marcus Peters was out. Tyre Phillips was out. He's the guy that re- that's replacing Yana. Jimmy Smith was out. And guys like Chris Moore and Ronnie Stanley, they were limited too. So as banged up as the Bengals are right now, Ravens are also up there So for the Bengals. You know, they only had Carlos Dunlap, who didn't practice for a rest day. They had Geno Atkins back out there on a limited basis. And I think Zach Taylor said before practice he was going to see Atkins, Logan Wilson, who's dealing with a concussion, and Mackenzie Alexander, who's dealing with a hamstring injury, they were going to see. He was going to see how they handled individual drills, kind of evaluate them from there. So Thursday and Friday, if 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 those guys have full practices, I think we we can expect them to play. But it, it's really just a matter of if Gino is going to practice fully. If he goes through this entire week limited again, it it, it wouldn't be. I, I wouldn't have a lot of confidence in him in, in him actually playing. So you know, it, it's up to if those guys can progress throughout this week because this day was just going to be a, a predicated just test day going through individual drills but th- those are the real those are the real question marks of the Bengals right now but there's a lot of other question marks of the ravens too the when you look at this injury report obviously you know atkins and wilson being out is something that kind of makes you raise your eye, eyeballs and kind of not sort of being funny but it's not funny when you look at 
Broderick Washington, you see somehow illness uh, that someone's missing. It just means means something different this year than most other years when someone sits out with an illness. <laughs> but, it's a good illness, you know. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah, that's 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 true. That's a good way to look at it. Yeah, the, the one that bothers me, John, and I, you know, again, I don't I don't think it's very serious uh, because you know, limited participation. But when you see Jonah Williams on the injury report with a shoulder issue, that's what caused him to miss last year. That's right. A little concerning to me. Yeah. Um, that, that he was the new addition to the report. And I mean, I haven't seen, I don't think he's missed a snap and I don't think we saw anything damaging from what was, was last Sunday. But I mean, Logan Wilson, I think, played all the snaps that he wanted to play on on two Sundays ago, and all of a sudden he ended up with a concussion. So we do need to monitor this. This could be an actual thing, and specifically because it was an injury that he dealt with last year, I think that's it's worth taking into account. Um, Darius Phillips is also, I think, got like a half rest day because he's yeah. still kind of nursing that knee, and it it just looked like he just just about a step late on a lot of the plays he made in in coverage and from the slot. So. Um, with Alexander presumably coming back, that would put Phillips back on the outside. Still maybe not 100%, so that is something to to watch for. Well, I guess where we go next, John, is what what the Bengals' chances are this week. I think a lot of people are giving them a snowball's chance in hell to come out of here with a win. Vegas has them as 14-point underdogs going into Baltimore. And for some of the reasons I understand that, Baltimore is three and one. The Bengals are one, two and one, still trying to find out who they are as a football team. They're trying to get healthy. And in one of the games last year, Baltimore absolutely housed the Bengals 49, 13, but that was with Ryan Finley playing, you know? So look, uh, what do you think the chances are for this team? And does it simply hinge on some of those guys, Geno Atkins, Logan Wilson being healthy for them to actually have a, a, a shot at winning. You know, we, we've talked about some linebackers. The Bengals invested heavily. This is kind of the game that the Bengals made some specific offseason moves that they made, right? DJ Reader, all the linebackers, you know, they want to stop the run. They want to be able to limit the damage by this Ravens offense. So what, what do you think the chances are realistically of this team upsetting the Ravens, making this a close game, covering that point spread. Yeah, I don't have the exact numbers on me, but I would have to imagine the number of teams who actually win games that are favored but to lose by two touchdowns is not very high. So I, I think we can all accept that this is going to be a loss. And, you know, it's only Wednesday and they're coming off a win. kind of sucks to hear, but the Ravens are still the Ravens. And until we see the Bengals actually perform well against a good team, not only a good team, but a good team that's going – to be the leaders in this division for the immediate future, like we just have to assume they're just not there yet. I think they can cover the spread. I mean, Joe Burrow's 4-0 against the spread so far in his career. So I think they can make it somewhat competitive, or at least look competitive on the scoreboard. Uh, Ravens beat the Washington football team by like 14 last week after getting embarrassed by the Chiefs. So it, it's about right to be in that you know 10 to 13 point range by the end of it. But you know, I, I think it's important to see where the offensive line is right now against a better defensive line in the Ravens, it's important to see where the defense is in terms of matching up against a team that can run over almost anybody, you know, like the, I think the chiefs defense right now is an anomaly and how you stop this Ravens offense. Um, and I think it's just a unit that's, that's underappreciated and underrated if in the grand scheme of things, 
Um, there, there's a blueprint to for how to do that because Lamar has had bad games in the past. But until the Bengals are the ones that, that show it, I think we have to assume that this is going to be a it's just going to be a loss. I've said this for a long time, and I've said it again, reiterated it again this week a couple of times. These are the games. If if you've got Joe Burrow, you've got Zach Taylor, the coach that you're you're supposedly believing in, you've made these offseason moves. These are the types of games, if you're the Cincinnati Bengals and you want to win championships, you have to learn how to win. You're gonna you're going to need to at a minimum split these types of games against a Lamar Jackson at times, whether you make it to the postseason and face them again, whether you host them in the postseason or it's on prime time in the regular season, these are the types of games you're going to need to learn how to win. I don't think it like I don't think it's gonna happen this week. Um, so, and it does, I don't think it needs to happen this week, but at some point in the near future, if you're talking championships, you, you're talking about championship windows being open, you need to learn how to win these types of games. So I, I, I assume you agree with me on that, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. And I'd also like to ask you, John, what does this do to your opinion of the Bengals and how does that alter the lens you're looking through for this team if they do come out of this week with a win it, it sounds simple oh if they come out of the win if they come out of the win like i don't think there's a lot that you can project the ravens doing that i i don't know how you could like see that other than just the Bengals just playing better than the ravens and if that's the case then they've taken a monumental step forward in just one week so if they if they come out with a win like this team is a lot better than I thought that, that I thought that they were, and, and some of the players that haven't played well would pre- would presumably have to play a lot better against a team that's just better than them. So if they come out with a win, that's a whole other story. But I think it, it's a, it's a matter of if they lose bad or if they lose kind of competitively, and they show that necessary growth. I think that growth is the most important thing that they can do going forward. This is going to be a tough month for them. After this, they play like the Colts, the Steelers, the the Titans. If the Titans can ever get their crap together, so <laughs> it, 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 it's a tough stretch for them, and it starts with a very tough game on the road. I guess they can look back last year when they went to, when they went to Baltimore and they, and they managed to stay in that game pretty for, throughout the game. Like I think they only lost by like a touchdown and Lamar didn't exactly have the greatest game of his career. So there there is some form of a blueprint for them to stay competitive in this game. And I think that they're a better team than they were last year. They're especially better at the most important position. That's going to give them a chance to get to that point. But um, it, it's it, if they get blown out badly, I think we can just chalk up the Jacksonville game as a mirage and this team is right back to where they started. Well, the Bengals have beat have had a relatively decent track record against the Ravens, starting with the Marvin Lewis era. Um, you know, they they found ways to beat them, regardless of who was under center for either team. They found ways to to beat them, and like you said, the the game last year was relatively close when Andy Dalton was starting, and it was an absolute embarrassment when Ryan Finley started. So, <laughs> who knows who knows what's what's ahead here? Why don't we? Uh, call our shot with some predictions or if you got anything uh anything off the wall you want to you want to predict or anything like that let's call our shot and then we'll drop the mic and get on out of here all right i think anything i think the Bengals. i'm sorry what i know you love score predictions (laughs) oh yeah um i think the Bengals are going to complete a pass not beyond 20 yards beyond 30 yards in the air this game i think with both peters and smith kind of nursing injuries right now there's there's an exploitable area 
I think they've been trying to get Higgins there, and I think they'll try it again in this game. I think we're going to see one deep ball successful, and it, it could be even beyond, like well beyond 20 yards. I think there's going to be one deep ball that they hit against the secondary. I don't obviously think they're going to win. I think it's going to be like a 30 to 20 loss in favor of the Ravens, but I think we're going to see that one sliver of progress in the passing game. Yeah, I've got this one at 33-24. If I was a betting man, I'd take those points and run with it. I, you know, based on what we've seen so far from Joe Burrow this year, he's keeping them in games. This team could or should have two or three wins to this point. And uh, they, you know, point point differential has been, you know, especially in those losses and ties has been pretty close. So, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I think the Bengals will cover. I'm pretty confident in that one. I, I have a score. I think I've got about 33-24. Is, is my score. Um, and I will say, I, I think AJ Green gets it going and has a pretty big game this week to kind of to build off, piggyback off of your point. I think that deep ball goes to AJ Green. I think we're going to kind of see a glimpse of the old guy. This is a team, like I said, maybe, maybe I'm just being nostalgic, but this is a team he traditionally plays very well against. And I don't know. I, I think he has a big game. I think Joe Burrow will throw for maybe maybe 300 yards again, but he'll throw for a substantial amount of yards. Hopefully, hopefully the Bengals find some semblance of balance with the running game again. But um, you know, overall, I, I I think this is too tough of a game and too early in the season. Um, you know, if this was a little later in the season, maybe this has a little rosier outlook for me. But um, I, I don't think the Bengals escape Baltimore with a win. Unfortunately, I know, and th- and that's okay. They just might not be there yet. You know. Yep. Yep. Well, let's drop the mic and get out of here. Any final thoughts, John, before we bounce on out? It's, I I think for me, it's the last four weeks have been a bigger grind than I expected. It's weird, like going from, you know, wondering if the season will will start in time, wondering what it will look like to, to now being in the grind again. Like it's been, it feels like it's just a long four weeks, but I'm glad that the Bengals are at least making it somewhat manageable and making it somewhat interesting. But I feel like I'm I feel like I'm getting back into that groove of just like being able to go through all the motions of of doing what we do here. And I appreciate all, all you guys continuing to listen and continuing to give us feedback, continuing to encourage us. I think it means a lot. And you know, we got hopefully three more months of this if things go well. So yeah, I think I think things are looking up in in all facets of what's going on around here. I'm going to leave with this. You know, a lot of times I I try and, well, not a lot of times, but sometimes I try and preach a little positivity amongst people who tune in live and, you know, try not to say nasty things to each other and that sort of thing. I'm I'm a little bit, I feel a little bit hypocritical, John, because, you know, on Twitter during the game, I I did kind of tongue in cheek, make poke fun at Alex Redmond. And I I heard from, like I said earlier in the show, I heard from a relative of his and I kind of took a step back this week and I said, you know, I know these guys are more public figures and I know they're easy for us to criticize on the comforts of our couch and all of that, but they are young guys. They are guys who have feelings and probably read and hear, maybe not our program, but read and hear a lot of different things from fans. Willie Anderson talked about it on Twitter. He said, these guys hear about these things. They, They know what fans are thinking and saying. And maybe they bring it upon themselves, but you know, I, I just as a dad, uh, you know, if, if I was paying attention to my son playing a sport or professional sport or what have you, and I see a lot of people piling on, I, I would, I, I kind of would be Papa Bear on on that front, and I kind of understand that a little bit, and uh, I, I just kind of 
took I, I that's just something that's been on me this week i kind of feel like you know maybe i've been a little hypocritical and i know our job is to cover this team our job is to cover it from a fan perspective right john i mean we're, we're fans and that's why we got into covering this team and you know it's it's cool how we've grown our platform and what cincy jungle has given us to be able to do that but um you know i, I kind of just took a step back and kind of said well you know maybe maybe the being a little I'm being a little too personal in terms of some of my criticisms. And uh, I don't know. That's just something I thought about this week. Yeah, at the end of the day, it's all trivial, especially with everything that's going on in the world. I think I think the the, the, the guy in question is Steve Baldwin. I think he's Alex Redmond's uh, stepdad. And I think a lot of people in Bengals Twitter have had an interaction with him. And fortunately, he hasn't been the most diplomatic of, of sources from, from the inside. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's football. And sometimes we get carried away with, with stuff. So Alex Redman's back with, back with the Bengals and he's trying to make the most of it. And you know, if he does good, then the team does good. And that's really all that there is, there is to say about it. Yeah. Hey, I, I want him to do well. It's not like I want him to not succeed. I want him to do well, but you know, unfortunately what we do, sometimes we have to call out people for subpar performances, but Hey, we also called him out because he played a lot better this week and helped the Bengals to a win. So uh, just something I've been thinking about before we bounce on out of here. Thanks for listening, everybody. Again, you can get this show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Megaphone. Uh, by the way, I think Google Play now has turned to Google Podcasts. So in case you see a different name, it's the same thing. We're still there. Uh, iHeartRadio, all, all of your favorite audio platforms. Our show, Orange is the New Black from Ace and Zim is on there. Chalk Talk from Matt Minnick is on there. Uh, so go and subscribe to that channel. Subscribe to our YouTube channel if you like what we're doing. We appreciate the support. Keep it to CincyJungle.com for news, opinions, analysis, all that good stuff. And check us out this weekend when we do the pregame show by Narragansett Beer. And as we break down the result of the game, the postgame show. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. For John Sharon, I'm Anthony Cazenza. This has been the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. We'll see you next episode.